1: Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast Series 1 Episode 12 Different Types of Water In this podcast I will tell you where the fish are where the fish are why the fish are there and how to fish for them based on the variables of the situation and location Knowing where and when a fish is going to be located is going to increase your catches Knowing why the fish are there gives you the clues on what to look for in a body of still water or flowing water That allows you to place your fly in the correct location for a proper presentation. I'm going to talk about how to fish each of the following types of water based on the characteristics and variables such as types of water, structure, water speed, and water clarity. Now this podcast started as a website. I had a web page devoted to each one of these characteristics and it just became too much to have people go back and forth looking at each photograph from different types of water, different structure. So what I'm doing now is consolidating that web page. i removed it from my website. It's now going to be on the podcast page of my website and it'll be streamlined, no pun intended, into a podcast. So let's talk about structure first. These are physical objects in the water that affect your fishing. Logs, trees, stumps, logs that have fallen, log jams, man-made structures such as sunken Christmas trees, logs bolted into the ground, manipulated boulders, etc. These are structures that will provide not only shade but protection for the fish. You should be careful not to catch the tree branches of any of these as they are fly-eating branches most often. And they also will show habitat for different types of aquatic crustaceans and insects that would hold on to the wood, boulders, rocks, etc. that are going to allow them to get food that's coming downstream. So rocks that are naturally there could be uh, any size. Uh, books refer to them as uh, food and sports ball size, so grapefruit to softballs, baseballs to pebbles, stones, gravel, sand. Rocks, if they've been moved by the water, will gradually decrease in size going downstream. If the rocks flow in from a debris flow or a landslide, they're gonna be randomly scattered. So you can automatically tell um, if a whole bunch of rocks are piled up along the river. Is it natural or do they get placed there by the water? So you have the biggest rock, the smallest rock and so on downstream. Sort of like those Russian nesting dolls, biggest to smallest. Plants are also structured. they can provide shade, oxygen. Lots of insects like to hang out on them. Um, they provide habitat for young fish to grow up in. Some fish also eat the plants. If a plant is submerged, It can be referred to as an SAV or submerged aquatic vegetation. Plant roots also are a habitat for lots of organisms now plants that are not submerged can be overhanging branches and plants Um, like willow trees most notably on uh, Pennsylvania spring creeks we'll get into that later. Lots of branches overhanging insects can fall in it provides shade for the fish remember fish don't have eyelids so they're susceptible to sunshine and also prevents them from being eaten by birds that are coming from above So structure is not only for food and just general hanging out structure. It protects them from organisms that may try to grab them from above. Drop-offs and ledges are structures where they're going to allow fish to hide out in a drop-off and come up um, to the shallower water if food passes by. They can hang out along that wall, provides them shelter. Also, it may increase the flow of water. So they have to burn more calories to stay along that smooth structure where water is not apprehended and slowed down. Ledges can be formed by most notably just rocks where it's eroded out. Um, Spring creeks, we'll get into that later, the banks have been eroded. Anywhere where there's a ledge and drop-off where the fish can hang out in the protection and then come out to grab food and return to its protected area. Cut banks where water's eroded the bank underneath you so you may be walking over the water and not know it. So you're um, on dry ground but the water has carved out everything underneath you. So you could technically be walking over trout. Waterfalls are structure. Water's gonna come down. Um, that force is gonna generate lots of ripples and bubbles and sounds so the fish can hang out in there, not be detected by other predators. Also get more oxygen there, we'll get into that later. Dams are structure. Fish can hang out below a dam and get the fresh release of water. Um, it's gonna be a constant rate. And bridges provide shelter. They're structured that have pilings and the overhanging actual uh, road or trestle. is going to provide shade protection and the fish will hang out at those. I developed a fly called the bridge midge at one of those in Colorado because I developed it for fishing a bridge. After structure, let's talk about water speed. Different types of water velocity will determine where and when the fish are located and why. Fast moving water can be caused by a drop of elevation, it can be a narrow passage where the water is being concentrated and increasing its velocity. Just as you notice it's more windy when you're in a city, that air is being compressed and going through a narrow passage. That compression increases the velocity so you have more air in a confined space. Water will do that too. Fast moving water might also have more oxygen so fish are going to hang out there It allows them to breathe easier. Food comes to the fish. If they're in fast-moving water, they can just hang out, wait for food to come by them, dart out, grab it, and go back. Bugs also lose grip on the substrate in fast water, so they can be walking along and all of a sudden just lose their uh, grip of one of their six legs and get pulled off and float downstream, so the fish can just hang out there and pick him out of the current. Slow-moving water will have less oxygen, there's not as much water coming in um, it also can increase the temperature if the water's slow moving official crews for food are holding one place they're burning less calories if they're in one place and they'll burn um, you know, a little bit of calories if they're cruising but they're not having to hold in that fast water maintaining their direction which is always upstream food should be easier to catch in slow moving water they can cruise around and just pick things off as you want still water is another name for water that's going to be lakes and ponds fish can cruise for food or hold in one place hang out under docks and boats or they can cruise around the shoreline they're going to seek out cold water and oxygen and food may fall from above or swim to them or they go and seek out that food let's talk about water clarity now you can have different types muddy clear foamy bubbly these are just my basic characteristics muddy water could be all sorts of um solute in there from a big rainstorm. It could be uh, mud from streets and sand coming in. Any reason that the water is muddy, it could just be naturally muddy, it's like some of the slow moving streams in the south where the water's not moving fast enough and the sediment just kind of stays suspended. Muddy water, it's harder to see the fish and thus the fish have a harder time seeing you, so you don't have to be as stealthy. Your flies should make noise. If the fish can't see them, they should be able to feel them, the vibrations. We previously talked about lateral lines They're going to have to feel the vibrations moving through the water from your fly to detect them. Clear water, fish are more spooky. Any movement will turn them off. It may require a delicate presentation if your fly lands too loud with a splat and sends out ripples. The fish are going to all dart as if a light was turned on and cockroaches scatter. Same idea. You may require a longer leader and a leader made of fluorocarbon or just a tippet of fluorocarbon so the fish don't see you. Fish have a lot going on in the water. It's loud, there's a lot of things floating by them, but if a shadow passes over from you or a bird or your rod or your line, they're out of there. Foamy water, fish can't see you and you can't see the fish. The foam may be scum, mud, insect skins all piled up. There may be dead bugs suspended in that foam, so the fish may be just going along and breaking the bubbles with their nose and pulling out bugs. You might wanna just throw your grasshopper right in the middle, let it splat, twitch it a couple times. There may be a fish hiding under that foam because things can't see it from above, so it could be a little umbrella of shelter for them. Bubbly water could be turbulent water. Again, bubbly water, fast movings can have more oxygen. This could be caused by waterfalls, fast water, substrate where water's moving over it, coming up to the surface and causing uh, little drop-offs. So, uh, as you know, water always takes the shape of what it's in. So if there's a bump on the stream bed, the water's going to go up and be elevated. When that water on the surface comes down, it's going to make bubbles, if that makes sense. Harder to see fish and vice versa in bubbly water, you can approach them easier. Remember, sound is always going downstream. So if you approach fish in fast, loud water from behind, they're not going to hear you and they're not going to see you. Let's talk about parts of stream and stream anatomy. This might also be known as reading water. When I'm out with clients, we usually sit down in these different parts of the water and just take a look. I'll use my rod tip to point them out. We'll flip over rocks, show why bugs are there, etc. It'd be so much easier if a laser pointer worked on the water and then I could just light it up and point things out. So anatomy of water, you can have inside of bends, outside of bends, heads of pools, the middles of pools, and we'll go with the tails of pool, sides of pool, deep versus shallow water, and eddies. If you have another one that you want me to talk about, send me an email. Inside bends are usually going to be shallow. It's where sediment has been deposited. It's going to be a fan or oval shape where the water has come in slower and dropped it off. It's a good spot to stand and cast to the other side because the sediment and bank is exposed. It should be less things for you to catch on your back cast. Outside of bends, the water has scoured it out. So it is going to scour out from the inside of a bend and deposit it on the next inside. Outside bend, cut, inside bend, deposit. Known as cut banks, the water's gonna be deeper where it's been scoured out, often faster water, and these can be separated after a long time and become an oxbow. And if you have a meandering stream through a field where the grate is flat, there's no change in elevation, that water always wants to reach an equilibrium of a certain speed. And by doing this, it's gonna make those bends, S curves, snake through or meander through that pasture or field, cutting sand and sediment in one place and depositing it in another. It's gonna speed up on the curve, slow down on that inside bend. And the is just gonna keep making that meander until it reaches its preferred, I guess, speed or its equilibrium. Outside of uh, the cuts and bends, let's talk about the pools. You can have a head of a pool. This is, if you're looking at a stream, it's where the water enters. Fish there get first dibs on food, so you're often gonna get a dominant fish that is territorial, preventing other fish from coming in. You're also gonna get turbulence there, some more oxygen, and probably some cover from the water that's coming in and um, hiding them. The middle of the pool is gonna be the middle section, of course, the water should be slower. Fish can move back and forth to find food as it comes to them. They're going to sort of move around. They've got you know, this full section of water. You might find the smaller fish there because the big fish has already taken first dibs at the head of the pool. The tail of the pool is the end, head, middle, tail. It's the last chance for food before water enters the next set of rapids or pools or turns, whatever. The water is going to be slower if it's not being sucked into that next section of water. Larger fish might hang out in that tail because uh, food is coming to them, so it's the last dibs, last chance for food, and if it's creating that vacuum, food's gonna be being pulled towards that fish. So oftentimes, there's a good chance to catch fish not only at the head of the pool, but at the tail. If it's slow water, they could just be hanging out there. If it's shallow, as long as their back is not exposed, you may find a large fish hiding there. The sides of the pool are gonna have the slowest water. You're gonna have sediment deposited there, so it may be a spot for spawning. There's overhanging plants often that provide shade and coverage and protection, and they may hang out in that slower water on the edge and then dart out for food that comes across in the middle. So if you throw a streamer or a hopper about one to two feet off the bank and start moving it, a fish on the side might often come up and just nail your pattern. Let's talk about deep versus shallow water. And while I'm thinking of all these, I'm picturing Big Hunting Creek in Thurmont, Maryland, which is a stream that comes out of a dam and goes through different changes of elevation and every kind of anatomy of a pool you can imagine. So uh, if you fished there before, you should be familiar with these terms. If not, you're gonna understand the vocabulary associated with them and better understand where you were fishing. An eddy is water circulating against the current. Food items and debris and flots get trapped and circle around. Fish can hang out there and dart out from slow water to fast water to grab food. Remember, they're burning fewer calories if they're in slower water than if they were in the fast water where the food was. Items also get trapped so they can just cruise around and pick things off without having to burn any calories. If there's dead bugs floating in a circle, they can just go around and lazily, leisurely sip them off the top. So that's some parts of the anatomy of a pool. Let's talk about the actual names of the types of water you were to counter these. We have tailwaters, spring creeks, free stones, large rivers, small streams, still waters, flats, and tidal sections. Let's talk about tailwaters. Water is coming out of a dam, be it a lake or a reservoir. Water comes out of the base of the dam and is often very cold because deeper water has less sunlight, less warmth. It's going to be cold, usually 40s and 50s degrees. Water coming over the top of the dam is called a spillway and it's often warmer because it's the top layer of water that's been warmed by the sun. Access is often limited closer to the dam for security reasons. Dams that produce electricity, dams that if are blown up are going to flood an entire town. Also, they just don't want you messing with the gauges and gates and other things associated with water coming out. Fish congregate in the section often between that dam and the restricted area because you can't fish there. So if you go to the Taylor River in Colorado or the Blue River in Colorado, and look down from the bridges, but the blue is now closed on that bridge, so you can't really look, you're going to notice some hogs. These fish are unmolested by anglers. They're sitting there getting first dibs of food coming out. The water temperature is constant. The flow is constant. They are just huge fish, and the best you can do is look at them and hope that high water releases are going to push them out into the public stretch. I believe it's called a tailwater because of If you look at it from the sky you've got like an oval shape which could be like i don't know maybe a mouse and then this long string coming out the other end which could be the tail i'm not sure so fluctuating water levels are based on the needs of a power company the water levels behind the dam recreational use do they need to let out water for a whitewater kayaking or rafting event does a certain reservoir have to be lowered to provide more water in times of drought for public drinking Um, If it's a drought, water is often going to evaporate out, and it's going to expose most of that uh, reservoir. Water is going to be crystal clear closer to the dam where the water is coming out. Runoff from feeder streams and streets is going to contribute to water levels going up and down and loss of clarity downstream from the dam. So oftentimes, that first one or two miles is going to be clear during a thunderstorm, and then after that you're going to start getting water that's coming in feeding that stream not from the reservoir that's going to have all sorts of sediment in it water temperatures can be constant closer to the dam and remains unfrozen in winter because these waters are always coming out from the same location in the lake that temperature is constant unless the water is flipping getting the turnover of deep water moving to the top and top water moving to the bottom that allows year-round fishing you can fish the first two miles of any reservoir out west, some out east, and it will be unfrozen for the first two miles because that water is not cooled by the air. Once it starts cooling from the air, it's going to be, you know, in the 30 degree range, it's going to start freezing up. Your first will have slush and shelf ice coming down, and then it'll freeze solid. Plants and animals grow year round as well, closer to the dam, which increases the chance for huge trout because it provides protection and habitat and food for the microorganisms that these fish feed on the rocks and the bottom tend to be slick as algae also grows year round most notably out here in the east we have the savage river which is just covered with appears to be green mucus the water comes out year round the algae don't die and they just grow and coat a thin film you got to have studs on your boots got to have a waiting staff otherwise you're going to bust your head open i've come out of there with so many bumps and bruises before even with studs and
0: Check out MidwayUSA.com.
1: Some western reservoirs have been stocked with shrimp, uh, known as mycids, shrimp or mycids. Those were basically there to feed stocked fish, notably salmon. The highly nutritious shrimp are carried with the water release and get sucked out. Thus, the trout closest to the dam get first dibs and can grow to immense sizes and display a variety of bright colors based on the proteins and pigments in the shrimp. Think of flamingos. They're pink because of the food they eat. The ones in the zoos have to be fed pigments to keep them from turning white. So tailwaters, in summary, you can fish them year round. Big fish can grow there because the food does not die out throughout the year. They have a constant food source. The plants don't die out, so the food source has a constant food source for itself. You can fish them in the winter because they don't freeze. You can fish them in the summer because the water is still cold. You might not have to wear waders in the summer because it's still cool enough for the fish, um, but you might find it tolerable. I can fish out west in uh, a pair of sandals from like July and August, and then it's back to waders. Some of the famous tailwaters are going to be Yellow breeches here in Pennsylvania. You've got the Gunpowder Reservoir in Maryland. You've got Big Honey Creek in Maryland, the Sopus in New York, the Taylor, the Frying Pan, the Blue, and 11 Mile Canyon in Colorado. We've got some of the major ones down in uh, Arkansas. I know the names, I'm going to get these wrong. It's probably like the white and the red. Someone's got to correct me on those. Those are the ones I always hear about um, online on Chatter. They produce some of the biggest trout. The ones that uh, Dave Whitlock helped stock back in the day. So that's just a couple of tailwaters. Let's move on to spring creeks. They're called a spring because the water flows up from springs. They usually, they grow in flat lands such as valley floors and pastures or open fields. The stream will try to meander in that S shape through the topography to slow itself down, trying to reach that equilibrium. Thus, you're going to have an S shape from one side being cut and the other side being deposited. Water percolates out of the ground at a constant temperature year round. Thus, you can fish at any time of the year. Even when there's no rainfall, these streams will still have water because it's coming up from the ground. Stream usually narrows toward the originating spring or upstream with a marshy area surrounding, and then it gets wider farther down as more water from springs enters. Water does not freeze in the winter, allows plant and animal life to grow year round. The water quality is quite clear. These streams are less susceptible to flooding as it is fed by springs and not runoff. The water will be closest the springs um, is going to be clearer during times of storms. If you get away from them, it's going to muddy up, just like tailwater. Closest to where the water feeds in, it'll be the clearest. Stream bed and surroundings, um, it's all based on the geologic structure, and most notably limestone. The chemical properties of limestone buffer or lower the pH or acidity of the water, which allows uh, the plant life to grow. It's, uh, It's buffered, so the water's less... Man, this is running out of words. Acidic. It allows for certain plants like watercress and elodea to grow year-round. And um, the bug life can flourish because uh, a lot of them can't tolerate acidic water. There are few to little, little boulders or structure in the stream because this is from a percolating body of water that carves as it goes. If there are boulders there, they were probably present before the stream formed and are being slowly eroded allows for a variety of animal life that require that specific pH, as mentioned before, and most notably are be crest bugs, shrimp, and mayflies. You'll have cut banks where the water's eroded underneath the edges, and trout can escape from predators and sunshine under there, so you're often walking over the fish. You could be fishing the bank right at your feet and be catching fish, but most people fish the opposite bank. There's often a soft bottom which is uh, best termed as muck. You will often sink if you enter these. Mossy Creek in Virginia, you can't enter, you shouldn't enter. If you step in it, you're gonna sink up to your armpits. I have a picture somewhere of a dead cow that probably walked in there and got stuck and died. You get a lot of overhanging plants, uh, willows most notably, the weeping willow kind of trees, they plant them on purpose along these streams. They require a lot of water, so there being a constant water supply. These trees can grow often quite large. Submerged aquatic vegetation or SAVs grow very thick as it does not die back in the winter. And that often, um, those plants will meander in the stream and undulate and often trick you into thinking you're seeing a fish when it's really just um, the plant moving back and forth and not a fish's tail. Fish may congregate closer to those springs in hot weather to keep cool. And some of the famous ones of these are going to be Mossy Creek in Virginia, Latour, Big Spring, The Ditch or uh, in Pennsylvania, DePois, spring creek you've got what's a tailwater and spring creek sort of is uh, the dream stream in colorado what else i'm lost for words i should have written them down but spring creeks um, are going to again have the same constant temperature year round which allows fish and food to flourish and you can fish them all the time and they often produce some of the biggest fish next up is a free stone free stone Stream fed by springs at headwaters and runoff throughout its course. It's free running. The size increases farther from the source. It may be tidal where it meets the ocean or bay. So the Potomac River as one, it's a trickle where it starts in West Virginia at Fairfax Stone, slowly increases as that spring is fed with runoff, other streams, feeder creeks, and gets bigger. So it's, you know, a couple hundred yards across up to the tidal section, and then it explodes into a major river down by Washington, D.C. Water's colder, closer to the spring fed sources, so you can have trout up in the headwaters and then warm water species below. Water levels and clarity fluctuate based with precipitation. So a big snowstorm with the melt, a big thunderstorm, that water is going to turn muddy. The entire section, you're going to have trees coming down. The water looks like Yahoo. Make that Yoohoo, the chocolate milk drink. Um, it's unfishable for a couple of days you got to wait watch the USGS water line online and see when the water goes down and it's fishable again. Temperatures are based on ambient temperatures. Today it's in the 70s, so the water's probably a little bit warmer than the air. It's going to get colder soon, which means the striped bass will start picking up and the smallmouth are going to slow down with their metabolism and you're going to have to fish slow and deep for them. Whereas in the summertime when the water's in the 80s and 90s, these fish are very active because they're based on their ambient temperatures being cold-blooded. You can catch them on top. You're going to have a variety of stream bottoms from pebbles to rocks to boulders. More sources of structure to fish as things get washed in. Log jams, boulders, um, I've seen everything from uh, car parts, Christmas trees, buckets, um, barn doors that float down and get stuck and cause structure where the fish are going to be hanging out. A fast loss of elevation creates waterfalls and plunge pools. You can find those. Uh, Scott's Run, where it flows into the Potomac River, there's about an eight to ten foot waterfall. And fish fe- species are going to change from the source to the end based on water temperature, tides, elevation, salinity, etc. Trout in the headwaters, bass in the free flowing, uh, non tidal section. Then you can have more striped bass, uh, migratory fish that include alewives, herring, shad, gar. Into the tidal section and then when it reaches the Potomac confluence with the Chesapeake you're gonna get saltwater species large rivers for small streams so a large river like the Potomac will um, have fish dispersed over that great area from headwaters to the mouth you're gonna focus on structure to pinpoint where they will be located so you're not wasting your time blind casting over this giant river are you fishing a huge rod big switch or two-handed rods with spay lines Rio Skagit shooting heads What are you doing to cover all that water where the fish can be dispersed? You're gonna look for structure, you're gonna look for different flows of water, oxygen, everything I've mentioned above. So you're not blind casting, you're reading the water and knowing where the fish are gonna be. And that will prevent you from wasting your time. Small streams, most people fish like eight and a half foot four weight around here. For trout, smallmouth bass, and sunfish, those are all in the creeks. and tributaries, difficult run, Scotts run, Homes run, four-mile run, and um, yeah, you can walk the shore, cast across the other edge. It's not going to be too big that you need one of those big rods. You don't need to double haul. Let's talk about still water, ponds and lakes. It's a confined body of water. It can be from runoff from streams or spring fed. The lake I grew up on and rest in Lake Audubon is fed from runoff. The entire purpose of that man-made lake is to catch runoff from the streets, yards, golf courses, parking lots to prevent it from flowing very fast down into a difficult run where it's going to erode and cause a lot of destruction. So it sits in that lake and then there's a little spillway. It goes under, comes out of the tailwater, and you can fish the creek on the other side. The one I used to work at in West Virginia at the Mountain Lake Lodge was a spring-fed lake. You could fish it year-round and the water was uh, you know, 45 degrees most of the edges. And we had trout and bass in there. The fish are free to roam in search of food. The trout may cruise the shoreline for food. Bass and sunfish may back up against structure, boats, pontoons, docks, overhanging trees where they can just sit with their tail cocked waiting for something to land on the water or swim by. They can dart out and get them. Sunfish form schools, introduce striped bass, striper hybrids, known as wipers, and shad may congregate in and around the shorelines and just basically go in schools. They're also going to congregate where water flows in. You're getting that food source and the oxygen. A lot of people like to fish the Blue River mouth in Colorado. If you can get out there it's pretty marshy but rainbow trout and 9 to 12 inch range stack up face that incoming cold and oxygenated water and grab any food that's coming down. Walleye we're gonna hold deeper in our lake in West Virginia. They like that. Uh, Apparently anything that's gold colored about 60 feet down would get them. I never had a chance to fish for them. If you don't know, the locals burnt the lodge down in 2003, and I never got to fish for them. And the term thermocline may come into play. People reference that here at Burke Lake, where the change in temperature is based on depth. So if you're swimming in a lake, it's nice and warm by your shoulders and belly, but then your knees and toes are in cold water. That's the thermocline, the change in temperature based on depth. So often the muskie in Burke Lake will hang out just below that cold water line. When the fish swims by in the warmth, they're going to go up and grab them. Rounding out some of the different types of water, we're going to have tidal. It's a body of water affected by tides. Water is going to flow in twice a day and out twice a day. You have a variation of high and low tides. In D.C., we get about a three-foot fluctuation each day. Incoming tides allow fish to move upstream with that push or bulge of water in search of food that is now covered by water, which was previously exposed during low tide. It allows them to get to more places, access more places to spawn. Outgoing tides going to suck food towards the fish so they can just stack up and wait for food to get sucked out to them. You can have brackish water, which is a mix of salt and fresh at the mouth where the tide flows in, and the salinity now is increasing in the Potomac River due to lack of runoff, so that tide each day is bringing more saline water up, and apparently people are crabbing in downtown alexandria which is about 10 miles due west of me which is uh, pretty amazing since we've had no rain until yesterday you're gonna have a mix of fish there so right now we've got striped bass gar the snakeheads are stuck in our tidal section they have the physical geographical barrier upstream and the salt water below if they go into salt water that salt's going to suck the water out of their cells and it'll kill them so, we caught a needlefish yesterday. Um, I also discovered a fish I was able to identify as the tidal silverside, which is a relative of the Atlantic silverside, which is a forge fish. It's got that long silvery um, lateral line to it. So, I'm going to start tying my flies to represent those in the tidal basin. The tidal basin in DC is a man made lake, it fills up twice a day and exits, so the water flushes out the DC harbor. And all sorts of fish hang out there. Gar, largemouth, smallmouth, striped bass, shad, perch, herring, catfish. I mean, you name it, it's in the tidal basin. People stop me and say, oh, gee, what's in, the, what's in the water here? What are you catching? And I've said, everything. I mean, it would take me too long to name it all. Just go to my website, look at the blog of what we're catching. We're catching everything in the tidal basin. Next up are flats. It means a flat body of water. So maybe 30 degrees, water's going to come in at the deeper part and go up to that shallow part where the, uh, if you, I don't know how to explain the geometry of this, where the point of the two longest sides meet, that's going to be the shallow point. It's affected by tides. Fish work the organisms that inhabit the bottom and plants, mollusks, shrimps, crabs, other fish that burrow in the water. They're going to be out and about during high tide, and then they're going to go back into their burrows during low tide. As that tide increases on the flat, it's going to slowly expose them. Similar to a buffet where someone's taking the trays off the steam table as they go down, each one slowly becomes more exposed and they can be consumed. You talk about bonefish, striped bass, bluefish on flats, false albacore, tarpon, and permit. They're all going to come onto the flats during high tide, exit during low tide. They have harder soft bottoms you can tell by a push pole on a flats boat a boat specifically designed to fish the shallow waters If it has a fork being pushed on the ground that is a soft bottom if it has a point it's going to be the hard bottom correct me if i'm wrong i've not been on a flats boat since last century uh, fish will flee to deeper water if scared so bonefish most notably i've seen birds go over them and that shadow spooks them into deeper water and Any kind of noise, ripples, uh, ospreys diving is going to spook these fish and send them fleeing. They are very uh, scared because there's nowhere for them to go. They can't go to deeper water. The only place they have to go is out. So you're going to have to fish these waters very stealthily. So when do you want to fish flats? You want to fish flats, um, incoming and outgoing tide. I like to fish tidal sections on the incoming tide where the fish are going to stack up and eat everything that's being sucked Or pushed into the river, I like to fish the tidal section on the outgoing tide when food's being sucked out going to the fish. I like to fish still waters, lakes, and ponds early in the morning, late at night when there is less sunlight. Right when the sun is past the trees, the fish are more active and they're more willing to come out from behind their hidings to come out and take a fly. Large rivers for small streams. Any time of day should be good. Large rivers and small streams for bass, most notably um, at night my wife and i were camping the upper potomac Um, the bass were jumping all night long we could not sleep it sounded like baseballs falling from the sky if i hadn't had a bunch of broken toes and drank a whole lot of beer to numb the pain i would have gone out and fished for them freestone you're going to want to fish those most notably when it's warm out when it's cold the metabolism shuts down and they are going to shut off you're going to have to fish slower for them and deeper spring creeks any time of day Any time of the year, most notably at dusk when there's a hatch, I like to fish the whitefly hatch at dusk, midday for beetles and grasshoppers. And of course, if you can get out to nighttime and fish streamers, the big brown trout and nocturnal, they're going to come out at dusk. Same thing is going to go with tailwaters. I like to fish nymphs in the wintertime when the fish are slower. I like to do big streamers in the summertime when they're more active. That sums up uh, when to fish and where to fish. Um, I think that's about it for my notes today. Um, it's about a 35 minute podcast on where the fish are, why the fish are there, and when they're there. For more information and some visual aids, go to robsnowwhite.com, 1w and snowwhite. Click on the podcast link, series one, episode 12 Different Types of Water. You fish these waters your whole life. You may not have known the terminology, why they're that temperature, why they're that color why we're fishing them at this time of year not the other, why there are more midges in the winter versus the springtime, et cetera. If you have any questions, shoot me an email, rob at robsnowwhite.com. I thank you for tuning in today, and I think I'm going to try and actually sit down and tie some knots uh, per request, get a video up. So that's a 36-minute podcast. Take care.
0: That's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting. Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.